Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Today's episode will feature Chip Frederick. We will talk Vanderbilt baseball. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt starts a three-game baseball series with South Carolina. First pitch Friday night, 630 Saturday's game, 11 a.m. and Sunday at 1. All times they are central. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spy-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. Chip Frederick joins us to talk Vanderbilt baseball. Chip, enjoying a little vacation. You may hear some ocean waves in the back. That makes me very jealous, but I am happy for you. (laughs) But in any case, I'm happy for all of us because we've got SEC baseball starting Friday. That's right. It's at that time of year, Chris, and uh, it seems like it was forever ago. Sometimes if you think about it, it seems like it was just yesterday. It's a little paradox as far as is uh how we are reaching now this same point almost that we were last year and did get to play in the sec games but it's good to see the the conference as a whole stand strong and this vanderbilt team after going to stillwater this past weekend and winning two out of three and and winning this week uh, against belmont so good things uh on the horizon for this team and and as they continue to plot away and I know they are excited to get, you know, fans in the stands, more fans in the stands, hopefully, as we go along and and playing some uh, significant baseball. And I don't mean to say that they haven't played some teams that aren't, but it's there's nothing better in the springtime than when you get to play against your SEC brethren and, and play in some of these stadiums and some of these atmospheres that I hope will open up and, and really uh, – that's why these kids came to school at Vanderbilt. They came to school to, to compete for national championships, but also to play in this environment, and, and this is what it's all about. Chip, I know you were able to watch 
some of the Oklahoma State series, also some of the Belmont game. What is standing out to you right now? Well, I, I, it, the way this team went into Stillwater and won the first two was about as dominant as you can be at this time of year. That, that's that's no small feat, and people need to understand this Oklahoma State team as with, with the Holiday Brothers, or as I call them, the, the coaching staff there, uh, they have built a program of recruiting well, and they've got a lot of JUCO players. They've, uh, they're they in a hotbed of baseball in the, in the country, and they've got a new facility, and things are on the upswing. And I know you sent me a text message uh, during one of the games and said you, you've never seen this team, at least this year, be so disciplined at the plate. And I, and I think their businesslike manner and the way they basically just came in and dismantled Oklahoma State in the first two games. Uh, when you score – 23 runs in the first two games and you only give up four and the way they did it, I mean, just hitting bombs and the pitching, pitching dominating that you have at the one, two punch with rocker and lighter. That's about as dominating as you can be this time of year against a, a top level team like Oklahoma state. who will be in the NCAA regional. So that's what stood out. And I know, you know, the, the third game is it's going to happen a 10 to six loss that they got behind early. And, and those things are going to happen when you play good teams, when you go in and you basically rip their heart out the first two games, it's, it's a do or die situation for them. They're going to be desperate and winning two out of three in a place like Stillwater, even though it wasn't raucous and, and, and tons of fans there, that's a very, very good baseball team that we beat. And so, a team that will again be in a regional late, and that's just what stood out to me, how they went about it. And, of course, this week when they, you know, this, again, a, a, a workmanlike order of taking care of Belmont midweek, it's it's a good position for them to be as they head into the, the conference series. And now it's just one after the other. It's a gauntlet, uh, more so probably than any sport in the SEC when you're talking about week after week playing uh, top-level competition. You brought up the plate discipline. And – I think one thing that did concern me early against Georgia State, against some against maybe Wright State, but whatever the games were and some of the early games, you saw a lot of swing and miss from the Vanderbilt hitters. Now, look, that's just the way it is this day and age in college baseball. And I don't know that that is always a flawed hitting approach. I mean, in some ways it may be. You've got the emphasis on launch angles and all these things that if you'd said them 10 years ago, we would have looked at you funny because we wouldn't even have known what you were talking about. But you're also at a time where everybody's got guys throwing 90. I mean, I look up at the Belmont game the other night, and the guy that they brought in in the seventh or eighth inning is out there throwing 93, and he's not even their closer. So I think that just through conditioning and driveline and places like that, arms are stronger, guys are throwing harder than ever. And all things being equal, the harder pitchers throw, probably the more likely it is for hitters to strike out. So people bemoan hitting in general and strikeouts. Well, it's it's a different day and age. And some of that just, I think if you had had everybody facing staffs full of 90-plus at a lot of levels a few years ago, you would have seen the same. Anyway, I'm sorry to ramble, but I set that up to say some of the strikeout part I accept as part of the game. But I was a little concerned because this is an inexperienced lineup. The last couple of weeks, it just seems like these guys are really starting to hit their stride. I thought that they didn't chase a lot at Oklahoma State. They took a lot of close pitches. Um, but at the same time, 
I remember a few years ago, they seemed to be taking a lot of strike threes looking. I don't know what work Mike Baxter has done with these guys specifically, but it just seems like you've seen this team take a big step up in terms of selectivity, in terms of swing and miss, in terms of not swinging at bad pitches, period. And you look at things, they have walked 86 times, they've been hit by 19 pitches, and they've struck out 117 times. So basically for every strikeout they're taking, um, they're taking, or for every 10 strikeouts they take, they're taking about nine free passes, which is a great ratio at any level of baseball. Uh, That's a lot to bite off there, but what I'm trying to say is I love their approach at the plate right now, not just what's on paper, but as I watch them go through at bats, I don't feel like they're giving a lot away. Almost every bat that they have is pretty competitive. Yeah, Mike Baxter should get a lot of credit for all the things that you said. Plate discipline, we talked about this past weekend. And, and, and as he has grown as a hitting instructor over the last few years, I think the team has as well. He's brought a lot of new techniques. And, and the philosophy of the game and the mental approach is so important at the college level. Because you talked about the power arms. And, and I'm not going to expound on this much. But if, if the listeners definitely Google or on YouTube, look at drive line. Uh, and Google and put that in the search box, baseball, maybe put those three words, and you'll see some interesting videos of how this has really become a science uh, as far as pitching and why these guys are throwing. It's not by accident that these guys throw on 90-plus, but that's a whole other matter. But that might be an interesting thing for the listeners to, to, to watch, driveline. But, yeah, it's just these, a lot of these kids, uh, you're going to get the swing and misses because of what you said. And, and as long as you're getting the quality of bats, you're getting the walks mixed in and you're being selective and not going up there and hacking at every uh, pitch scenario that comes to them, uh, it, it says a lot for Mike Baxter uh, and what he's done. And, you know, we were, we were sitting there crying, and I think one of the questions last week uh, a listener had was, you know, tell us about Isaiah Thomas. You know, what, what's, what, what's wrong with him? Is he going to be able to get through? Well, I mean, he promptly in game two goes three for four and he hits two bombs on Sunday and you know he had a good game against Belmont as well so as I've said the last couple weeks it's really early to pass judgment on some of these hitters and we're beginning to see guys who are getting as the weather gets warmer and they're getting in their hacks in and works in the cage and getting equal to where the pitchers are uh it was a good weekend for Thomas and and others as they uh as they continue to grow I'll tell you what a great weekend was Tate Colwick Oh, yeah. Yeah. I saw his numbers. Great weekend for him as well. I don't think I have a lot of concerns about this team. And whatever concerns I have, uh, they're, they're cracks, really not holes. But the biggest one I do have, and I think this could change things for them a little bit, is Dom Keegan. And I need to make an inquiry on when he's back. I, I think that his COVID situation was a little bit more serious than Murphy's. I'd be surprised if we're not seeing Murphy before long. But Keegan has just gotten off to a phenomenal start. He's hitting 548 with a 659 on base and a 1290 slugging. And I think that they did really well without him, obviously, right? I thought that Gonzalez is really playing well at third. I think that Nolan has been capable at first. But nobody on that roster is Dom Keegan. If the Dom Keegan we saw the first two or three weeks is what he is now. My concern is 
okay, if, if COVID was involved, which I think it may have been, and he actually got sick, you know, how long does it take for him to recover? Then on top of that, there is the element of just getting back in the cage again and taking swings and getting off the pause. And you've kind of lost the run-up phase of your season with the pitching is easier than what you're going to see in the SEC. Uh, this is a kid that just can't catch a break. Um, the first year he was on campus, they had an unusually loaded lineup, and he just couldn't get time then. He's had the blood clot a year ago. I was just floored with how good a hitter he'd become. And that's the one thing I'm kind of watching is when do they get him back and how long does it take him to hit the ground running? Because I think he's their best hitter end of discussion right now. Yeah, and I don't know what the protocol is as far as if he's uh, not getting any work in. I would think that you know there's strict protocols that, that are going on as far as that's concerned, but it doesn't mean that he's not off on his own and not staying in shape. But you're right, I, I, but I will say this. I, I think that the minute he's ready, he'll be inserted back in the lineup. And the difference between what he had before and this is, you know, if he did have COVID symptoms or was around someone, he, he won't get it again. So uh, as far as if it follows science the way uh, we think it does. So it's just a little pause for him. But you, you got to get him back in the lineup as hot as he, he was um, leading his team almost in every category. And, and you know, if he – Last week, he, well, it was two weeks ago when he missed the Memphis game. If you start doing the calendar and, and saying, let's just say he had COVID, then you start counting the days back and forward, and that leads to the possibility of potentially playing uh, this weekend against the Gamecocks. So, yeah, I, I think he's a guy that, although they've had some good fill-ins here, he, you got to get him back in, and, and I don't see him missing a beat when he comes back. Uh, that is a, a cause for concern if he was doing so well, but – that kid has really put in the work uh, since his incident in the freshman year, and, and I think he'll be fine. Uh, two wild cards for me. There's Spencer Jones, who we've not seen in four days. I've not heard of an injury or a COVID situation, and they've been facing a lot of, or, or some lefties for sure, and that, that I'm sure factors in. And Jack Bolger, and I know people will look at Bolger's batting line. He's hitting 211 with a 340 on base and a 289 slugging. Well, I've watched a lot of Bolger. He hits the ball hard. He's not getting a lot of luck at the plate. And I think the thing that really stands out, when you take eight walks to six strikeouts, that's a good ratio at any point in your career. That's incredibly impressive for a freshman. I think this kid's going to be an outstanding hitter for them by the time he's done and maybe by the end of this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, those those guys you mentioned, it's just a matter of getting that hit, that timely hit when they need it, when they perhaps are not. Uh, striking the ball and, and squaring up as, as much as they should. I mean, look at what happened with Isaiah Thomas. He was benched last weekend, the weekend before the Oklahoma State Series. And then he comes in the first at-bat. He drag bunts, gets a hit. Next thing you know, he puts together some another timely hit late in the game again against Memphis. And then he goes to Stillwater and does what he does then. It, it's it's um, Baseball is a funny, funny game, much like, in a, in a sense, some people compared it to golf. You know, you go out there and you could have a great round and, and shoot better than you ever shot in your life. And then you, or, or in the instance, you hit a hole in one, a friend of mine hit a hole in one last week at a, in Florida and then proceeded to hit five straight sand, sand traps. You know, it, it's just, it's a, there's no consistency there, but boy, when you do, uh, and as far as hitting's concerned, 
you do start striking the ball, it, it's a great feeling, and you want to keep that feeling. But it's it has a lot to do, of course, with who you're facing uh, on the on the other side on the bump. Well, the other guy that I believe is due for an uptick is Cooper Davis, who had, I think, like a 420, 430 career on base mark coming into the year. Cooper's an excellent hitter. He's not going to hit for a lot of power. That's not his game. That's fine. But when you get hit in the face the way he did, I'm, I'm sure that that causes some physical and psychological setbacks. Cooper has shown some things here and there since he got back, but really hasn't put it together yet. I think that they will give him time to work that out, knowing the talent, knowing he's a senior. But that's another thing. We're sitting here looking at this team, and we're saying, well, you know, Bulger is capable of hitting better than he's hit. Uh, Cooper Davis is going to hit better than he's hit. Uh, Keegan has been out for a, a week and a half now. So you look at that, you say, my goodness, they're scoring nine runs a game, and they're leaving a lot of meat on the bone in terms of some kids that we know can hit uh, that just right now, for various reasons, aren't. Yeah, you can't downplay you know, Cooper Davis getting hit in the face. I mean, he's a tough kid. And the, to come back as quickly as he did with the mask. But the mask does limit, especially when you've never worn it, you're not used to it. It, it could have some play there. He certainly is not showing it, um, you know, with, with his mannerisms. It doesn't seem like it's bothering him. But I know he's probably wanting that to come off as soon as he can so we can get back to normal baseball. But that's going to be a while, I think, due to if he gets hit again uh, in that region. So I, I think he's a kid that Tim Corbin wants in the lineup. As you mentioned, he's a senior, and those are uh, few and far between when it comes to college baseball this, the, these days at elite programs. So um, I think he'll be fine. I, I like him in the lineup. I like where he where he is in the lineup, uh, his leadership, and, and it definitely shows. It's, he's just got an aura around him that I think is, uh, is one of those guys that Tim Corbin and staff you can tell relies on to kind of set the pace uh, emotionally and, and, and as far as how the team carries himself. And, and uh, it's good to see him climbing back. Let's talk pitching for a minute. How much a Christian Little start did you get to see and what did you take away from that? Well, it was impressive. I mean, he, he each time he has gone out there and we've talked about it the last couple of weeks, he's just, he's a 17-year-old kid. And I'm not, you know, not going to harp on that keep harping on that, but his opportunities, he didn't get to pitch in a lot of any fall games. He wasn't even on campus. He was, he was going to his high school winter dance for all we know. And so he, he, he strolls into campus and tries to get acclimated pitching against kids who are, you know, uh, more mature and been around the league. And, and you saw it in that Memphis game, the start. I mean, he wasn't fooling anybody. Uh, they had some guys really uh, squaring up on the ball and taking some big hacks and, and uh, that was a learning experience. Each time, though, he goes out there is invaluable. He's learning each and every time. I thought he, he got ahead in the count a lot more the other night. He was impressive with his velocity, consistency, 94, 95 in that range. And you're seeing the growth of, of an extreme talent that I think just every time they throw him out there, and they're showing that, that he, is, he is definitely um, – getting this pitching uh the coaching staff's attention as far as what they see in him and uh, the more he goes out there the better but I, I was i was impressed with his numbers he he uh you know definitely with i think he had seven strikeouts in that ball game yes uh, yeah seven strikeouts two walks so that was impressive in itself and and um definitely 
looking for bigger things for him. And, and you will see if he, you know, if he's pitching midweek, he's probably not going to see many opportunities on the weekend. And that's okay right now. They might spot him an inning or two here to get him some action. But uh, I, I like the spot he's in right now, and he's just gaining invaluable experience. What do you see as a difference between his last couple starts and then the one against Belmont? I mean, maybe the fastball has ticked up a mile or two an hour, but it seemed like you know he was throwing hard out of the gate, but he was also getting hit, uh, and not just home runs and doubles, but also some hard foul balls and things. Belmont did hit some foul balls off him hard the other night, but you know when you hit a foul ball, that means you've got something wrong with your timing, and they didn't really put anything fair into play that was hit hard. What do you see as the difference between him where Memphis racked him up pretty good and Belmont on Tuesday just couldn't solve him at all? A little bit his demeanor, Chris. Uh, I Just watching him from where I was, uh, his demeanor against Belmont was much more confident. He, he, uh, he, he was a little shook in the, in the, the Memphis game. I, I could tell, and I mentioned the, the mound visit that Scott Brown had with him early in that game when he came out and it was a one-way conversation. Uh, but he, he, I think he was pitchers tend to live and die when the younger pitchers, and I have a, a, a little league team that I coach and I keep telling him we're it's, it's when the kids start to pitch and I try to harp on them, you know, don't live and die on every single pitch. And it's hard to do when you're trying so hard to impress and you're trying so hard to perform, you're trying to keep the velocity up. You're thinking a whole lot. But just every single pitch, if you get squeezed by the umpire, your facial expression might be a certain way, and you you you, you got to move on to the next pitch. That's why there's uh, you know four balls and three strikes that you're given the opportunity to throw as far as getting runners out or, or putting them on or having someone hit it. So I, I like that about him, and I noticed that was much improved uh, for a kid who's just still learning the game. And he and not saying that he probably didn't have those attributes, but he was probably mowing kids down in high school and striking out 13 and 14 batters, I'm just assuming. But uh, when you get to the college, I don't care if you're playing Belmont, Memphis, or South Carolina, you've got some really talented uh, baseball players, so you've got to, you just can't live and die on every pitch, and I hope that makes sense, because it's a mentality that uh, sometimes, you know, throwing one in the dirt away is just as effective as throwing one 95 down the the heart of the plate. So that's what I noticed about him. It was the big difference. What do you make of Thomas Schultz right now? I know he got roughed up pretty badly in Stillwater. The announcers kept saying that he was making good pitches and OSU was hitting good pitches, and, and I'm I'm sure there was something to that. Uh, Tom Holliday, who was doing color commentating that day, who used to be OSU's baseball coach, I think he's got a good baseball mind. And so when he says something like that, I pay attention. But what do you make of Schultz? How effective can he be in that third spot? Do you, do you see him holding that till the end of the year? Well, he, he's a strike thrower. I mean, that's what I noticed about him early. But when, in an inning in two thirds, he threw sixty-one pitches, and that's what stood out to me. It, it's, he was uh, he, he struggled in his inning in two thirds. It, it was just um, it, it was. Uh, I think he was facing a desperate Oklahoma State team that jumped on him early. Uh, as far as the future, you know, it, it, it will. That remains to be seen. I think he probably gets thrown out there another weekend, and I don't think this it's desperation time here. I, I think what is he? He's he taken two of the losses already this year. Is he? Yes. Two of the three losses by by Schultz. So that's not going to read into too much of that. But you know, he's the third starter on a on a dominant 
pitching staff that has a, probably the best one-two punch in the country. And there's going to be times like there were in Stillwater this weekend where the pitchers in the games one and two for Vanderbilt are going to dominate and going to face a very desperate team that's just trying to do all they can to win one game. And, you know, something that I thought about before this podcast, and if you remember, and this happened a lot with David Price was pitching, is you wonder, I don't think it'll happen this early, and I think the teams are from top to bottom much better in this league and the league's more balanced. But there were times when coaches, not saying they were throwing in the towel for the Friday night game, but they were juggling their their pitching rotation when David Price pitched years ago, basically saying, well, we're going to throw our three against your one, and then we're going to try to win games two and three or, or some variation of that. I'm not sure that's going to happen this year, but don't be surprised if later on this year you see some weird rotations because when you look at Rocker and Leiter as dominant as they were against Oklahoma State this year, uh, it, it remains to be seen if that happens. But Schultz, uh, I think they get it out there again this weekend in the SEC play and, and see how that goes before they think about doing something else. Well, we thought coming into the season that it was going to be really hard for a freshman to find a spot on this team. Now, I think I'm hearing Michael Doolin's not going to be back this year now. And so if that's the case, that opens a little bit more of a door. But you've seen three guys that they really seem to trust right now. One of them is Little. We talked about him. I think he's going to continue to get a shot on Tuesdays. But the other two guys that have really, I guess I'm not surprised with Patrick Riley because I'd heard he was probably their most polished freshman coming in. He's pitched pretty well. I think he will continue to see a role uh, including some on weekends. But the other one's Miles Garrett, who really comes in and, and just brings it. It's kind of a high-effort delivery. He's not a big kid. But Miles Garrett has looked great so far, and I think he and Riley have shown that they've got the ability to contribute right away, which they're doing. Yeah, Riley and Garrett have been impressive. Uh, I'll agree with that that statement. And, you know, Sunday's sort of the grab-all day, Chris, in this league. It's, it's pitch whoever's available, pitch who's throwing strikes, who's, who can uh, get you an inning or two and piece together a win. And if you've got, I mean, my goodness, you, you look at the Rocker has a zero ERA. Lighter is .45. You've got five other kids in this, um, this pitching staff who have a zero ERA. There's enough arms there. It's just finding enough on Sundays. And I don't think they're expecting Schultz to go out there if he continues to be that guy and throws seven, eight innings, that would be nice. But trying to get maybe four or five out of one guy and then piecing it through to till you get to the end is is any SEC pitching coach's goal on the weekends. And, and you see that continually in this league. There's, there's Especially if you lose the first two games, it's desperation mode because, as I've mentioned for years on this podcast, you just can't get swept can't get swept in this league bad things happen when you do uh and you'll end up uh, regretting it later on in the year you gotta at least win one and salvage something and uh we'll see if that holds true this year let's go ahead and dive into the mailbag that is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs call Josh today 615-933-1979 email him at josh at hqinsurance.com Follow him on Twitter at Joshua Minton HQ or Facebook.com forward slash 
JD Minton HQ. Josh is my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell me you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. VU65 says the pre-SEC hitting stats for the 2021 team versus the 2019 National Championship team are superior in most categories. The pitching stats are about the same. It would appear that this year's team can compete for the SEC and National Championships this year. What do you believe are the keys to their chances? Well, they're, you know, of course, pitching. Uh, pitching, it seems like we've got that so far. Uh, and there's there will be some bumps in the road, but... Uh, pitching when you get to June and and in this college baseball scenarios when you have a dominant one-two punch because of the way the super regionals are set up, two out of three and, and of course you got to have that, those extra pitchers for regionals. But uh, I, I looks like we run a little better. Bradfield, of course, is most dominant on that than that team two years ago. I don't want to get in too much comparisons until I see. You know, it's okay to look at what stats are comparatively, but I want to see what the hitting does against some of the elite arms in the SEC before I make that judgment, because it's it's a whole different environment. You're playing top level. I mean, my goodness, the top five teams in the country on most polls are from the Southeastern Conference. That, that wasn't even happening. It was close to happening a couple years ago, but I've never in my lifetime seen one, two, three, four, five, all SEC as far as the national polls. It's just it's ridiculous, really, and it's an, an excess of riches. So I, I want to see, before we start comparing too much with the national title team, let's get a few weekends under our belt, and we'll, we'll, we'll check back with that comparison because you can look at, especially the pitching, too. I mean, you're facing some great, uh, even with Rocker and Lighter. I want to see how those guys do uh, in the league before I make that comparison. But it's, it's definitely something to note and to follow. Um, but every year is different, and sometimes you can have teams like that team several years ago, Tony Kemp's junior year, when they win 27 games and they break the SEC regular season record and they get taken two out of three by Louisville. It's it's a very fragile game when it comes to June and, and June baseball, and, and nothing really matters until then. Yeah, I think this is as talented a college baseball team as I've ever seen. Now, you have to pump the brakes a little bit for the reasons you just said. We want to see them getting into SEC play. It's going to be a meat grinder. But some things that are encouraging to me is, Chip, I think there's a lot of margin for error built in with this team. I mean, you look at Keegan. That's an injury that would be disabling to a lot of teams. But they go into Oklahoma State and they score 29 runs in three games off a team that had given up 22-11 and 11 coming in. So you lose your best hitter. You don't miss a beat right away. You get your leadoff guy who's super dependable. He gets hit in the face the first game of the year. He's really been a non-factor offensively all year so far. Well, you survive that and you're scoring nine runs a game. Uh, So I I think that points to the ability to absorb some blows. Uh, You know, the pitching, I mean, I've run out of superlatives there. But the point I'm making is, oh, and Spencer Jones, too. I mean, that's a kid that, would be hitting three or four in a lot of college lineups. And he had an injury, and, and he's not been in there a whole lot lately for whatever reason. So, I mean, that's three pretty big things. And like I said, the pitching, we know what that is. I mean, that points to me, because I'm thinking my answer to that is just don't have anything seriously go wrong, like a, a COVID thing that takes out half the team or whatever. But I'm looking at it going, they've already absorbed – 
a lot of speed bumps. And, I mean, speed bump is probably minor. Those are more like speed humps. And and have been able to, to, to get over it anyway. Yeah, it, it's going to take something, like you mentioned, which we would never wish to happen. That would be the worst scenario to knock out eight to ten players. It's, it's going to have to take a, an injury to one of the front-line pitchers to have that happen because that's what happens. That's why you build recruiting classes the way you do and, and, and have that internal competition that the next man, next man up mentality uh, that Tim Corbin has built. So, yeah, I agree with you, Chris. It's, it's – um, I'm really anxious to see how they do in the league because you can you can look at the records across the conference and you can look at who Vanderbilt's playing this weekend in South Carolina and analyze their who they played and but until you get to these games and they'll stack up quickly and the next thing you know we'll be talking and we'll be at the halfway mark uh, they they roll by quickly I know as a former player it, it goes by like you wouldn't believe but um, I'm really anxious to see how this team develops against that front line, you know, in a league that, again, as I just mentioned, occupies the top five spots in the country. Last question, then I want us to talk South Carolina for a minute before we close. Uh, You have answered probably most of this, but this will be an opportunity for you to add some thoughts here if you like. A. Hellman 87 says, does Christian Little's performance against Belmont change your thoughts on what his ceiling is for the 2021 season? No, uh, it, it, uh, I've said all along he's he's a super talent, and he's one of those kids that if he didn't come to Vanderbilt, he probably would be uh, drafted and gone this year. And so it was one of those situations we talked about last weekend that uh, he wanted to come to school early. He was agreed to, and so he did. So what I mentioned as far as his demeanor was impressive. I liked the way the mental approach of him pitching the other night against Belmont showed significant improvement. And it wasn't bad the first two outings, but he just got those jitters out. He's pitching in college. He should be pitching against high school kids right now. And um, so um, I mentioned two weeks ago, maybe is he a guy that, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a regional and you got to play a winner take all on a Sunday night or a Monday, uh, is he a kid? You, is he a guy you turn to each time he goes out there? My answer tends to be more of a yes than it was the week before. So it, it's, that's a lot of pressure to put on kid, but we have shown in the past how important that midweek starter is who, who can stack up a bunch of wins and, and usually is 8 and 9 and 0 oh by the, it gets to May. And um, he is the guy they're going with right now as far as that midweek starter. And the, that's all I got to know as far as the confidence that the staff uh, has in him. So hasn't really changed too much. Um, the expectations, I think, are you don't want to be too high on, a, on a, a guy this young, but he has proven every single time he's gone out there, his numbers have gotten better, his mental approach has gotten better, he's got more stamina, and he's got more confidence. Chip South Carolina comes to town to open Southeastern Conference play this weekend. Your thoughts on the Gamecocks, please. Well, the, and I'm not sure uh, because I went to bed before the game's over. I think they lost last night to Davidson. They were losing in the eighth inning. Uh, so this is a team that, and I don't know if you can check on that, uh, but they're 11-3 and before they played last night. Um, they've beaten Clemson twice. Their schedule, you know, Dayton and Winthrop and Mercer mixed in. And then they go to Texas last weekend and they get swept. They were competitive in those three games, but going to Austin and, and losing three games for most is, is not 
something to cry home about. But for South Carolina, they have been a team that hasn't lost three in a row in over two years. And if they lost last night, it would be four in a row as they come into Nashville. So, you know, when you when you talk South Carolina and their tradition, I mean, this is a program, Chris, who if when you look at the twenty teens, as I call it, and even early in the in the decade of the, the, the twenty year two thousand rolled around, I mean, they were the team of the SEC and on the national level. I mean, look at what they did. They went to Omaha in two thousand two, three and four. Uh, they went in 2010-11, and they were uh, won the national title in those two years, and then were the runner-up in 2012. And we're talking about the national champ. When you go to Omaha three straight years twice within 10, 11 years, that's saying something. Uh, and then the kind of the bottom fell out in 2014, and they kind of were on a year-on, year-off kind of deal as far as making the regionals. It's a program that's proud. They love their baseball. They got a, one of the best facilities in the conference, and, and they're all great. But uh, if you ever had a chance to go to, to that, that park there, it is, it is unbelievable. But, you know, I, I think that um, they're not getting the kids. They used to get, you know, the front line, first round, second round draft choices, and they're still having quality recruiting, but they just went into a rut there around 2014 and, and were very slow to recover. You know, it, when you look at what Kingston, their head coach said, he's a North Carolina guy. And he, he's had some experience at Tulane and he was a head coach at South Florida. And, you know, he's, he's trying to paint a picture to his fans because those guys get restless over there. And the Gamecock fans love their baseball. They, they um, take it very, very seriously. And his quote in the paper after the Texas game was, well, you got to remember, you know, we won 16 games in a row dating back to last year before we lost this weekend. It's no need to panic. It's no need to hit the, you know, make a bunch of changes. But, you know, then they go out and they lose to Davidson, who, by the way, Rucker Taylor is the head coach for Commodore. Throw that in. in uh, good win for him. Unless, and, and I don't want to look like an idiot, unless South Carolina scored eight runs in the bottom of the ninth. But uh, good win for Rucker. But, you know, they – they come to Nashville, and and it's it doesn't really. You're going to be saying this about every SEC team. It, the, the what they have to run through, they go Florida and then at Georgia, and so if they run in some bumps here, it could be rocky for the Gamecocks, and they need to have a good weekend. Uh, you know, they got a couple good pitchers. Thomas Farr uh, is probably going to throw Friday night. He's two and zero, very low ERA. 1.54, and then Brandon Jordan, who's one and one, probably will throw great game two. But they've got some elite arms. Uh, Wes Clark is one of the, the better power hitters in the country and in the conference, of course. He's got nine home runs on the year. Uh, he hits, you know, the middle part of the lineup, three, four position. So they're a team that um, is going to come in here limping a little bit, and uh, we'll have to see if, if – the rocker lighter combo in game one and two can knock them out, and then they continue. Yes, Davidson did win that game nine to four. South Carolina, Wes Clark is maybe the best hitter in the country. I mean, he's just has been on a torrid power tear <laughs> that spans most of 2019, or excuse me, 2020 and 2021. Now, one thing about Clark, he's a right hander. So is Andrew Eister, who's maybe their second best hitter, or at least that's what I perceive. I'll, I'll see what the stats show. But 
with Rocker and Leiter being right-handers, not, I, I don't know how much that matters. They're, <laughs> I don't think anybody's hitting Rocker and Leiter, but that's just something I, I thought I'd bring up. Clark is hitting 382, 528, 964. Eister is at 305, 414, 576. This team hits a lot of home runs. Uh, I don't know how much of that is, is legit power. I'm sure a lot of it. I do know that the ball gets out of Founders Park pretty easily or has the last couple of years, which, by the way, I have been there. It's a beautiful beautiful park. I was there in 2013 and actually got to tour some of the behind-the-scenes facilities there, too. It is just a, a first-class place uh, from top to bottom. But, but, yeah, I mean, the pitching is starting to struggle, I think, for them a little bit coming into this series. You know, they do strike out a ton of guys. They've struck out 192 in 134 innings, but they also walk some guys. They've walked 65, and they've hit 12. So for a team that has drawn a ton of walks lately, has Vanderbilt, that's going to be something interesting to watch is can the Gamecocks throw strikes? Because I think Carolina's going to hit the ball a little bit, right? I mean, as great as Vanderbilt's pitching staff is, this is a team that can score some runs, uh, but, you know, can can they pitch with Vandy? Can they get outs there? Can the staff survive deep into the weekend? That's really one of my bigger questions. Yeah, and, and through, let's see, 15 games, they don't run a lot. They've only stolen nine bases. They're 9 of 13. That kind of stood out to me as well. Uh, not going to be a team that's going to be blazing the base paths uh, that much. So it's just going to be setting the tone as it's going to be every weekend here with Rocker can do and the black pinstripes and um, see if he can set the tone for the weekend and, you know, hand it off the lighter and, and have the offense have their punch that they, they have been having. And the guys like, you know, Isaiah Thomas, is he going to continue to be uh, on the upswing from where he was two weeks ago? And is Cooper Davis going to have a little resurgence here and as he gets more comfortable? So, yeah, it, it, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of anticipation for this weekend. I know the players are excited to get, get to uh, – playing SEC games, and and uh, I think it'll be good baseball. It's good for the – good to see the entire conference. And from here on out, I mean, you look at Vanderbilt's schedule. I mentioned South Carolina, but uh, we go uh, South Carolina at Mizzou at LSU. So six of the next nine are going to be on the road. And uh, But that's – you know, you can look at that anybody's schedule and go, whoa, that's, that's a pretty tough task uh, no matter who you look at. Well, I say Carolina will score runs. Uh, Carolina gave up or uh, scored one run. Well, here I'll just give you the scores. At Texas last week, Carolina loses 4-1 on Friday, 3-0 on Saturday, and 8-5 on Sunday. Now, Texas is a very good pitching staff, but again, what are you going to see in the SEC? The weekend before, uh, concerning two, I think, they take three of Mercer, but the score is 5-1, 4 nothing, one nothing. I do wonder how much of Carolina's hitting has been feasting on some of the weaker teams, and I'll be anxious to see how this team does hit against SEC pitching because now that I look at how they've gotten to the runs, I think I'm a little less bullish on their offense. So things can change quickly, but it's interesting to note that they've had trouble hitting the last couple of weekends. Yeah, and and you're going to see – they're not going to see any much better pitching that they're going to see on Friday and Saturday night. So uh, as a Vanderbilt – fan and a follower you hope that trend continues it's not a good time to be to lose four in a row and you're facing rocker lighter back to back so they've got some uh you know you hope their confidence woes continue as they come to nashville 
All right, Chip, let's wrap things up. I'll give you the floor to mention any topics we didn't get to and also talk about your real estate business at a time where we're getting closer to summer. People will be moving. It's a crazy hot market here. So tell folks about that as well, please. Yeah, sure, Chris. Nothing really to, to uh, add to what we've talked about. Just, uh, you know, I, I think that um, this team is in a good position, but you're going to have to – uh, I'm not going to say pump the brakes a lot. There's going to be a bump or two in the road. This, there's going to be a time when uh, Lighter or Rocker might not have their stuff and this team's going to be on the road. And, and that's, those are good things. You want to have, uh, you know, it's not going to be a, a season, I think, where they're going to reel off 20 wins in a row. I mean, look at the Los Angeles Dodgers last year. I mean, you, baseball teams lose games. And I know in the college setting, that there are times you sit there and you think, oh, my, woe is me. They they go on the, they lost two out of three to, in, to LSU or they whatever. That's going to happen as South Carolina is experiencing right now. I mean, South Carolina's ranked, and they go get swept last weekend in Austin. It's just it, you're going to have to – and the teams, the quality teams, are going to be able to bounce back and, and have that staying power. And that's kind of let the cream rise to the crop a little bit as far as uh, keeping the, the – their, their hopes alive as far as making it to regionals and super regionals and doing what you want to do in June. And, and Kingston, the head coach, Mark Kingston, South Carolina, mentioned, he said, you know, all of this losing three in a row to Texas is not something we want to worry about. We want to be playing quality baseball when it comes to the NCAA regionals and, and trying to quieten his fan base down and, and calm the nerves of his players. So, uh, it's just I'm just excited about the SEC coming up, and I know the Vanderbilt fans are, and the kids are, and, and let's go with it. And I'll talk a little bit about my real estate firm, Frederick and Clark Realty. Uh, it is definitely the spring market we've talked about. We have over 180 agents, quality agents, in two locations in Brentwood and Green Hills, and about 40 of these agents were just recognized by the highest honors last week from the National Board of Realtors as far as sales volume and excellence, and, and they're to be commended. We've got frontline real estate agents who know about the market and it's important that you have a trusted advisor in this process you don't want to go alone and and i know there's a lot of avenues for real estate to look online but if you're going to find the house your dream home or if you're going to have a house uh, that you're wanting to sell on the sell side you need that quality representation to maximize your profit on the sell side and on the buy side to navigate the rough waters that can happen on multiple offer situations when you have a house that you like it and 10 other people like it and how you negotiate contracts, how you go about your offer, what offer to make, and all that. So uh, we have a quality team at Frederick and Clark. You can look us up on the web at frederickandclark.com. You can call me direct at the office, and I can pair you up with one of our talented bullpen of closers, I call them. we got 180 of them frontline real estate agents who do this for a living. They're not part-time. They don't sell one house to their aunt or uncle, and then they get their license, and then they don't do anything until the next cousin or friend wants to buy a house. These are professional agents, and we are proud to have them on our team. So that's all I got, Chris, and uh, looking forward to the weekend. Chip, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week after we've got, hopefully, a full weekend of SEC play in the books. Looking forward to it, Chris. All right, he's Chip Frederick. I'm Chris Lee. Thanks for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We will catch you again next week.